It's hard uh, to believe, but we are coming to the conclusion of our series in Romans. It has been um, now just over three years as we have made our way through this uh, deep, deep book. And it is fair to say, both because of my lack of experience and spirituality, we have only but scratched the very surface of this immensely deep book. And like I said, when I started preaching this, I only wish that I had 20 more years' experience to offer you. And um, I feel wholly inadequate um, in having what, what, I, what I have delivered to you. But trust that the Holy Spirit has ministered to you through it, and um, that each week you have been blessed by his word, and I hope that you have been challenged to, to work and to study and to understand uh, God's word on your own as well, not to rely upon what um, mere pittance you get from um, me and these things, to dig into the word of God yourself and to learn um, that's the beauty of the relationship that we have with the Lord. I spent some time with Mark yesterday, and we were talking about our relationship with God and what an incredible privilege it is to have a personal relationship with God, to be able to come to Him and for Him to be able to speak to us and to learn about Him. I don't know that I often just stop and meditate upon that fact of just what a wonderful, incredible, life-giving privilege that is for us. Thankful for that. Thankful for his word. And this morning, we're going to see that Paul concludes with what I will call his philosophy of missions. Paul's philosophy of missions. And the last chapter, as you'll see, chapter 16, is full of uh, not doctrine and not even practical uh, uh, teaching. Rather, he mentions uh, over and over and over again people who have participated with him in some way in his ministry. And uh, it's an amazing thing that, that Paul, someone who is as scholarly and as deep and as godly as Paul, who can write some of the, the great uh, verses of our faith and can articulate the deep things of Scripture, never lost sight of the people. Sometimes you meet scholars and you wonder, how do they get from A to B, right? I mean, they can explain to you, uh, I don't know, Pythagorean theorem, right? Or, uh, you know, I don't know, interstellar travel, but... You wonder how they go buy milk at the grocery store. <laughs> and Paul here uh, will show us that he's remained, it, remained grounded in his love for the people. And what a special, uh, special thing that is. It's the heartbeat of God himself. All right, let's start Romans chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 19, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of introduction. Verse 19 says... Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illicrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Question uh, for you guys this morning. Are we going to do the screen this morning, Elijah? 
Put the verses in there. They didn't come in? Oh, okay. But you have the other verses. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. This is Missions Emphasis Month. And we have to start, I think, with the question of what is missions? What is missions? When we use that word, what are we talking about? What is it that, that the church means by missions? And so we want to start, I think, right there. The, ver- the word mission itself comes from the Latin verb missio, which means to send. To send. Even in its very uh, origin, this word involves sending. We all know the verse John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know John 3.16. Do we know John 3.17? It says, for God sent. There's that word missions, missio. God sent his Son, or not his Son, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I think at its very core, we see here, that God himself has a heartbeat for missions, for sending. He sent his son. Verse 34 of the same chapter says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him, which means there is no limit to the Spirit that Jesus Christ had and could minister. There's no limit to it. But he was sent. He was sent to what? Speak the words of God. Missio, or missions. So when we talk about missions, we are thinking about one who is being sent to speak the words of God. On Christ's final night, John was there and he was recording the, the, the account. He's in the upper room with the disciples. And John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 recounts in great detail this final hours. And what's incredible about this passage of Scripture is not just the intimate details you get from Christ's account with his disciples, but even at the end, chapter 17 is a prayer. And you get the actual words of Christ's prayer. Haven't you ever seen someone pray before? And you wonder, man, I wonder what they're saying. You can just tell by their their body language and their intensity and passion that, boy, I wish I could read that or I wish I could hear that. I wish I understood what what was going on there. Well, here we have the very words of Christ as he prays to the Father. In verse number 8, he says this, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And I have known surely that I came out from thee And they have believed that thou didst, what's that word? Send me. Send me. One who is sent to deliver the words or the word of God. Verse 18, he says this. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them, speaking of his disciples. So now you see the model beginning to take shape. Christ was sent into the world to deliver the word of God and to offer not condemnation, but redemption. And now he is charging his disciples with this very same mission to go 
and to deliver the word of God. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Who's that? Who is it that he's talking about? We sang that as, as he was sent, and as the disciples believed him, now they are being sent, and as those who believe on the disciples, they also will be sent. And here you have the full uh, model, essentially, of Christianity. You are saved by hearing the gospel. Someone has brought it to you in one shape or another. And you are sent, you are charged to go and to tell others the gospel. Over and over and over again. That is why this morning, here in Hill, we sit and gather together, saved and understanding and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, even though the events of Christ's life took place in a, in a time and in a land far, far away, thousands of years ago. And yet, from those moments to now, you can trace generation after generation after generation the spread of the gospel and the spread of the word through difficult times when Roman emperors tried to extinguish it, when other dictators and other rulers tried to extinguish it, when rulers even in our modern age tried to extinguish the word, more and more and more it grows. What a wonderful thing. The end of these verses, verses 21 and 22, he says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. Now this is something to expand upon. We won't do that this morning. But these words mean... That, of course, when we come to Christ, we are in Christ. And Christ is in the Father. And so we are one with the Father through Christ. We are a, this is a especially true in a practical sense. When we are actively engaged in his mission. When our heartbeat aligns with his heartbeat. When our purpose aligns with his purpose. When our focus aligns with his focus. When we are working in the way that he is working, by delivering God's word to those who have not believed. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 record some of Christ's last words. We call this the Great Commission. Okay? You are being charged into a mission. Jesus says to his disciples, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So here we see Christ saying to his disciples, now it's up to you to go. I have to return to my Father, but now the charge is up to you. And it started with 12. And it expanded and expanded and it expanded. This is repeated in its, in, in its sort of extended form in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me. I'm sorry, it says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria 
and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And here we see what is the scope of our mission. Who is it that we are to give the word of God to? Who are we supposed to be giving the gospel to? Is it just to send missionaries across the, the ocean somewhere? Does it have to be outside of our country? And the, the disciples would have understood these words, Jerusalem. That was the city that they were in, the city they lived in, the city they were working and participating in. So this is local. And then you see, he says, uh, Judea. That would be like um, if we said uh, Merrimack County or Grafton County. So now it's local, and, and now it's expanded from that a little bit. And then he says into Samaria, you might understand that like we would perhaps at a, at a larger level. Maybe that's a New England type of an explanation. And you can see what Christ is doing. He's saying you need to start here and then expand and expand and expand. And then what does he say? Unto the uttermost part of the earth. We've had the privilege of having Katie Rooks with us for a couple of weeks. It's been great to see her. She played with us this morning. Many of you know we've been praying for her, but you may not be aware that she serves in missions manner in a place that we would describe as the uttermost part of the earth. Right? She serves in the Middle East, works in a hospital there, participates in the church. When we saw Katie growing up here, we didn't expect that that was going to be the outcome. But the Lord had a different plan. A beautiful plan, wonderful, turning her life into a work of grace. Our mission is not just local, though it is local. Our mission is not just regional, though it is regional. Our mission is not just national, though it is national. Our mission is to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, when Jesus gave this command, he gave it to his disciples, or as they were known after the ascension, the apostles, those who had been taught by Christ. Interesting, the word apostles means one who is sent. One who is sent. You see, missions is a vital part of everything in Scripture. Vital part of what we do here at Hill Village Bible Church. Acts 13, 1 through 3 now explains how the apostles went and taught the gospel. People were saved and they were formed into churches. And now we see a church at Antioch taking the next step. And this is what we would call the first, uh, the first missionary journey from a church. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now this verse sounds like it happened all in one service, right? Like uh, Paul and Barnabas, the Holy Ghost spoke to them and said, hey, I've been called. And the uh, church got together and prayed and sent them out. Okay? We know, obviously, that that's not the case. 
We know from Paul's account that that's not the case. It seems to indicate that this took some time, perhaps more than a year, before these events all unfolded. But the point is here, relevant for us. Today, the church exists to send out and to support those who have been called of God to deliver the gospel, local, regional, national, and global. That is what missions is. When we talk about missions, that is what we are referring to. Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 15. And we want to understand this morning Paul's philosophy of missions, meaning how did Paul do missions? What can we learn from that? How do we apply that to our church? Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul's testimony is that he has gone, he has preached, he has traveled, he has been on missions, and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit has empowered him and has used him in a great way, all for the singular purpose that he might preach the gospel. Right? I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul summarizes the work that he has done over many years, through many cities, visiting many people, seeing all sorts of wonders and all sorts of events. And he says one very simple thing. I fully preached the gospel of Christ. What was the most important thing to Paul in his missions? Preaching the gospel of Christ. Was it growing churches? It wasn't. Was it starting churches? It wasn't. Was it helping people? It wasn't. It was fully preaching the gospel of Christ. Now, when you preach the gospel of Christ, the people who are not saved, they start to gather together, right? And then the more they gather together, the more they go, we should probably start a church. <laughs> and we need someone to teach to us. And the outcome of preaching the gospel, of course, is those things that people are taught and grow and replicated. But Paul's number one focus was preaching the gospel of Christ. Romans 10, remember, 13 through 17, we talked about this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We all want people to do this. We want People that come to the place where they call on the name of the Lord. That's what we want to see. But what is necessary in order for that to happen? He explains, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Right? How can they call on Christ if they haven't believed in him? And how will they believe in something if they haven't heard of who he is? So what do they need? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Keep going. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Missions. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? 
So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This passage is, is complete in itself, a complete thought. We want people to call on the name of the Lord, but they have to have faith in order to do that, don't they? How do they have faith? They hear the word of God. Well, who gives them the word of God? A preacher. Someone who delivers to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many times when we see the word preacher, we understand that as like me or someone else standing in a pulpit. Someone who's been trained. They are the ones who give people the gospel. No, no, no. Right? That word preacher here means a proclaimer. If you can open your mouth and you can tell people about Jesus, you're a preacher too. Right? You're a proclaimer. You can help people in this process to learn about Christ, to understand what he has done for you. That builds faith. That faith turns into an action, calling upon the name of the Lord, and they shall be saved. That's what the Lord wants to see across our town, our village of Hill, and our towns that we live in, and the whole world. That's what we want to see. That's why we participate in missions. Because it aligns with God's heart so closely. Paul's mission, philosophy, is all about the gospel. It's important that in our churches mission work, that we are not distracted from that. There are a lot of worthy and great causes that we could choose to be involved in around the world today. There's a lot of need in our world. There is a lot of great, great need. There are a lot of people who are suffering. And out of our humanity and out of our love for, for people, we would love to help them. But I think Paul's focus here needs to be our own. We really need to be focused on the gospel and on those who are delivering the gospel. This is a, a vital point for us to understand. Look at verse number 20. Paul goes on. He says, Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build up another man's foundation. The second part or second thing that sticks out to me about Paul's philosophy of missions here is that he is trying to reach those who have not heard. He's trying to reach those who have not heard. I think this is an important distinction in missions work is to go to those who have not heard or who wouldn't have the opportunity to hear. Now, I think this is true because Paul had the gift of evangelism. Paul was, as Philippians chapter 4 says, an evangelist. An evangelist is one who declares the gospel primarily to those who have not heard it. I have a... I shouldn't say this, but I feel like I need to. I have a pet peeve that I have inherited from my father. So if you don't like it, He's sitting right back there, and you can talk to him about it. This is totally his fault. Um, something that greatly disturbs me is modern American evangelism. Um, the 
just the, the model of, of, of that. I love that men are willing to give their lives to come and to preach to churches and to help us grow, and there's a place for that. And we have an evangelist come in almost every year and do that very thing. But they're not really evangelists as much as they are exhorters, right? Like when they come, they primarily are preaching to the church. They primarily preach messages to save people about how to grow in your Christian walk, which is great, right? That's not what an evangelist is. An evangelist is someone who primarily preaches to lost people, not in churches, but on street corners and in shopping places and all over the place. And one of the things that's sad, I think, and what has happened over the years is that as a young man feels the burden for evangelism, he goes to school and gets trained in evangelism, and they tell him, you need to buy a trailer and a truck, and you need to start traveling around the country. Instead, I wish they would say, and they should say, you have a burden for the lost. Go to your local church. Stay there. Invest yourself in the community. Invest yourself in the work. And every day, go to every place you can. Witness to everyone you can and build up the church of Christ. God has given you the gift of evangelism for the body of Christ, for you, for us. I would love to see that. I would love to see men who say, I'm called to be an evangelist, and I'm going to be in one place, and I'm going to witness to every lost person that I can possibly encounter. And I'm going to set up events to do this, and I'm going to try this, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to invest my life in finding lost people and witnessing to them, helping them, and encouraging them, and discipling them. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Instead, now we have great, I think, great guys, some of my dearest friends, who are missing out on that, and the church is missing out on that, by them coming in for five, five days and then leaving again. Anyways, Paul was an evangelist who went to an area who did exactly that. He went to a synagogue, found Jews, started witnessing to them. That was who he knew first and most. And then out of that, built churches. And then went after he was there for a year or two years sometimes, even three years in Ephesus, once the church was founded and established and the man was there to lead it, his burden was, i got to go find more lost people. I'm going to the next one. I'm going to the next one. What a model that is for us to consider and think about. He wanted to preach the gospel to people who had never heard. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 explains his, his, this idea in greater, greater clarity. He says, I have planted, means he went and he planted the seeds and, and saw some fruit. And then Apollos comes. Apollos, who was trained and had more of a pastor's heart, comes and works with those folks, and they build up. Philippians 4 talks to us about the, that God has given gifts to the church, the evangelist, pastor, teacher. And the idea is that an evangelist sees people saved, but his burden is for the next lost people, not always to help us continue to grow and, and walk and, and replicate that. Different gifts. And so Apollos would come behind him and help those who had been recently saved and expound to them the word of God. Great power, says Apollos, was a gifted speaker and teacher. What a beautiful thing that this is. 
that God has provided for us and provided for the church all within that scope of missions. You know, today we see missions being done in various ways. And I think we support many missionaries who are reaching people who would not be otherwise reached. Now, when we think, for example, of Joel and Rachel Kirby, they are in South Africa. They were members of our church. Uh, their dear friends, their family. When Joel turned 40, I was working with him at the time. He had an insurance business and a home and a whole bunch of you know, things going on in his life. And he and his wife and four kids, they started to feel the call to missions. And he would tell you that he didn't know exactly what that meant or what, it, what he was supposed to do. But, but he knew that he was supposed to do something more than what he was doing. And God worked on his heart over a period of time and ultimately led them to where they are now today in Johannesburg, South Africa. And they are running and operating a children's village. And they have helped over 70 kids get placed. They have now a large ministry. They're building another home and they're moving forward. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like they're preaching to people who haven't heard, but they are, aren't they? These children who were abandoned by their parents. South Africa has more orphans than any other place in the world today. They're abandoned by their parents. They would never hear the gospel without a ministry like Joel and Rachel's who can capture them, help them, bring them in, care for them, love them, raise them. And what's the goal of all of that? To give them the gospel. Teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we participate in that ministry by supporting them financially and through prayer every single month. And it is a wonderful, wonderful work. So the way that that is done can look different. It doesn't have to look the same as what we see Paul doing it, but the point is the same, is that we are trying to reach people who haven't or wouldn't have the opportunity to hear. When we were in South Africa recently, we visited the spot where they found one of their now nine-year-old boys. He was, uh, had been born within just a couple of hours and was left in a plastic shopping bag in the middle of a field. A mother unable, totally unable to, to provide for him, I, I believe out of good intentions, thought it would be better if he didn't exist in order for his welfare. Someone heard the baby crying, they found him, they were able to resuscitate him, and today is an uh, unbelievably vibrant, wonderful little boy who loves the Lord and can recite more scripture than all of us can combined. <laughs> it's unbelievable. All right, that's, that's, we participate in that as a church. Joel and Rachel are the ones that are doing the work. But they're reaching people with the gospel who wouldn't otherwise be able to do it. And so it doesn't always have to look the same, but the purpose remains the same. Finally, I want you to see that Paul was also, as part of his philosophy, was not alone. He wasn't a loner. He wasn't, he wasn't totally uh, just said, you know what, one day I'm going to go here and I'm going to do something and this is, I'm going to go by myself. I have no accountability I have no one watching me. I have no one helping me. I'm just going to go do this thing on my own. And sometimes I think we do get 
fired up with something. And maybe God does, does truly call us to something and we get excited about it and maybe a little ambitious about it and sometimes we strike out on our own. Paul here clearly uh, says that this is not done on my own. Look at verse number 30. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your finances. Oh, wait. It doesn't say finances, does it? It says that you strive together with me in your prayers. In your prayers. Was Paul concerned about receiving money from these churches? No. The churches did send him money. The churches did help him. Paul also worked and provided for himself. But what was he concerned about here? He was saying, pray for me. Pray for me. Look at verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Meaning, that I might be protected, that I might be able to continue on my mission and continue to do the work that I'm doing. I need spiritual protection. And I need you as a church to be praying for me. We need to be praying for our missionaries. We need to be thinking about, considering, lifting them up to the Lord in prayer for protection and that they may be able to carry out their mission. The second way that Paul was not just an independent lone wolf was here in chapter 16. We'll just read a, a couple of verses. Number one, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancretia, uh, that ye receive her in the Lord as become a saints, and that ye sister in whatsoever business ye need of you. Look at this. For she hath been a great succor or a great help of many and of myself. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Look at verse 4. Who have for my life laid down their own necks. Isn't that amazing? They were willing to lay down their necks for Paul's ministry. Paul understands that it's not just about Paul, but that his ministry continues on because of the help and support and prayers of all of those around him, all of those connected. It is a beautiful thing to see how the body of Christ ministers in this way. Verse 6, greet Mary. Verse 7, salute uh, Androni, Andronicus, and Junia. And on and on and on, names that we cannot pronounce and will not try. You get the point. There's an amazing study that has been done that goes through these names. And details of different ways in which these folks have helped. You know, as we look across our congregation today, all of you have been gifted by God in different ways for the, the purpose of ministering to and through the body. Some of these folks, I would imagine, were older. Older folks who maybe they said, well, I'm not sure how I can help. I'm not sure what I can do. And Paul would say to them, can you pray? Then pray. Right? Can you give? Then give. Can you help? Then help. Right? Do whatever it is that God has given to you and your ability to do. Shane's a mechanic who 
fell off the tow truck this week and hurt his knee. But Shane has abilities that I don't have and that a lot of us don't have, right? He could help in a way that we couldn't. That's a gift or an ability that God's given to him. It's not just about spiritual things sometimes. A lot of these things described here are practical, physical things. Giving somebody a meal, encouraging word, helping them with a construction project, helping them do various things, things that they can't do on their own. You help them in their ministry and further them along in the mission of Christ. Don't immediately sideline yourself because you think, well, I can't do those things, so I can't be of service. No. God's perfectly equipped you for the job that he wants you to do. All he wants you to do is to be ready and willing to do it. And you will find great opportunity to participate in the mission. And the last point here, Paul's philosophy of missions, he was driven in everything he did by the glory of God. Look at verse 25. Of chapter 16. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. And basically what he means here is he's concluding the book of Romans. And he says, I'm praying now to him, to God, who has the power to bring to fruition all that I have just declared to you. All that I have just taught to you. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. That was the, the revelation, the coming of Jesus Christ and the fullness of salvation. But now it is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, the call to believe the gospel by faith has now been made and has been known to all nations. It's going out now across the whole world. And in verse 27, he says, To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Do you ever sign a letter at the end? And maybe it's like, sincerely, right? Or maybe it's like, uh, all the best or something, right? Sometimes we have these little lines that you feel like, I should just add in there because it's polite, but... You know, I, I don't know. I didn't really think about it, right? It doesn't really mean much. Oh, sincerely, or whatever. Do you think that's how Paul signed this letter? Do you think this was just like the polite thing for Paul to say? No. Paul has poured his life now into this letter. And in closing, in the way that he can possibly sum it up, is he's saying, all of this is for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Everything that I do is for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. He's saying, my dear people, everything that you do, do all to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. He pours his heart into this. This is all of Paul. Everything that he did was for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. When he was stoned in Lystra, he gets up. And he walks back into the city and preaches again because he was crazy, because he was stubborn, because he wanted to. No. All for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. He kept going. 
I guess, I guess it doesn't, doesn't need to be said, but perhaps it needs to be reminded of you, there wasn't air travel back then. Paul didn't load up a container and fly to another country and set up a house. Paul had his bag and a companion or two, and he walked and walked and walked. Because he wanted to? Because it was easy? No, because it was all for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Every step. Every day, every word, every tired night, every foodless meal, all for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That needs to be our heartbeat in everything we do, and especially in our work that involves missions. That is what missions is all about, reaching those who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful example that Paul has given to us. And it's almost as if he concludes this book by saying, take what I have taught you and go teach others the same. You want to be a part of that mission? You've been called to that mission. You've all been called to that mission. In the coming weeks, we'll learn how we can be engaged in that in deeper and practical ways. I hope that you'll pray about it this coming month or the next several days. I hope you'll be really in prayer and asking God how he would want you to be involved in that. Let's pray.